Thanks for tuning in to the New Life South Coast weekly sermon podcast. We want you to know that we're excited about our brand new church facility located on 1331 Cove Road in New Bedford, Massachusetts. We offer two Sunday morning services with something for everyone. We have kids classes for all ages so parents can enjoy the service while the kids learn about Jesus. We'd love to host you in person, 9.30 or 11.30 every Sunday. Now here's Pastor Marco with another encouraging word. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I want to talk to you today. It's part two of last week's message. We talked about team chemistry, how life is a team sport. There's no I in team. God himself is a team, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And everything God does is through a team. God said it was not good for men to be alone, so he made a team. He said, Eve, help this dude out. He's starting to talk to animals. He needs a partner. And then when God decided to bless the world, he said, I'm going to do it through a team. He assembled the Avengers. No, he assembled Noah and, and, and his family, and then Abraham and his family. He said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to many people. So God's always working through we and I just I. And my friends, let's be honest, this is a challenging message because naturally speaking, we only think about I, me, myself, and I, especially in the West where it's a lot of self-driven message that we have. And the Bible was written from an Eastern mindset, which is a lot of community-driven focus. And so in order for us to embrace God's will and what he wants to do, not just in us but through us, we have to embrace the we over the I. Can you say amen? But I do believe that this is a powerful message, even though it's challenging. But I do believe that it makes you a better person. It makes you a better husband, better wife. It makes you a better better business person. It's going to make you a better Christian is going to make you a better friend. It's going to make you a better community person. Tell your neighbor it's true. We is better than I. So tell your other neighbor, are you up for it? Like, can we talk like we really mean it though? (laughs) Are you up for it? Because it's awesome, but it's going to require some doing. So I'm going to call this message best for all. Tell your neighbor, this, I want what's best for you. Tell your other neighbor, I want what's best for you too. And tell the right neighbor, you are the best thing for me. I try every week. Every week I try. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 11 says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly. We see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Can you say amen? 
we over I is challenging, but it's the best way to live life. When we have we in mind, we'll go further together. Can you say amen? And that's the way God intended, that we will participate in his divine plan through a we focus, and not just an I focus. But the reality is this. This is a challenge for humanity. It's always been a challenge from the beginning for us to live for more than just me, myself, and I, or just even our just immediate surroundings. Because beyond that, it just feels like too much to take on. But that really is the challenge, and we see this in this journey. This thing is a journey, right? What you just read is a journey of a, a group of people that God brought together. And I, and I want to take this, this, this group of people in this church in a city named Corinth to show you this challenge of going from I to we. And I want to show you how relevant and how practical the Bible is because the same challenges they faced 2,000 years ago in the first century, we're still facing them in the 21st century. That's what's fascinating to me about the Bible. There's nothing new under the sun. We, we have the same challenges. We have the same battles. We have the same hopes and aspirations. And, and we have the same uh, struggles to go from, from my I life to a we life. Can you say amen? So this particular church is very cool because it's very relevant to us here in the South Coast. I want to show you a picture of a modern, of modern day Corinth right now in Greece. Can you go ahead and show me that picture? This is, this is Corinth right here in Greece. And when you begin to study this, this city, you realize that we have a lot of things in common with this city. For example, this is a port city. Right? Just like we are a port city. Right? This city was progressive in their thinking. This is a Greek city, so they were highly influenced by Greek mythology. Right? Many gods, many temples, many rituals. You can subscribe to any religion you want to. Right? This is a city that, that was very progressive in their moral understanding of life and, 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 and worldviews, was a little bit more uh, broadened than the Jewish perspective. But here's the challenge is that this particular church had Jewish people coming in, Gentiles coming in. So it's a big smorgasbord, just like in the South Coast region, we come from all walks of life and, 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 and all kinds of backgrounds. And, and, and now we're trying to live this life that God has for us together. So they're very relevant to where we are. And, and, and I love how advanced they were in, in their understanding of life. I read something pretty cool. They were one of the first people to invent a cooler. They were able to find ways to use underground cisterns to be able to keep their water cool and their drinks cool. And being a port city, you can imagine what went down. Oh, y'all going to play church with me? A lot of partying, a lot of drinking, a lot of, you know, you know. It's a port city, you know. You know Fall River, right? You know what I'm talking about. You, you are also a South Coast city. So a lot of that stuff is going on, and people are getting saved. It's a big city. It's actually one of the first big churches in the first century. So Paul, the man who planted churches in that area, right, what Paul would do is he would plant a church in a city. He would put leadership over it. And then Paul would move on to the next city and plant the church, and then he would write letters to help them on their journey. This is the technology they had. Pardon me. This is, this is the technology of the day. If Paul was here today, I guarantee you, Paul will be writing letters on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram because he wants to convey the message of how to be a Christian now. 
right? And so, are you tracking with me so far? We're going somewhere here. Okay, so, so here is a group of people who are coming from all walks of life, all lifestyles and worldviews coming out and converging into one place called the church in the city of Corinth, right? Now, learning to live as God's people is a challenge because a lot of what they were used to doesn't really translate into the will of God, doesn't translate into the lifestyle that God has for them. So how do you now embrace that when there's so many people coming into it, there's so many lifestyles and backgrounds and ways of living, how do we now go from I to we? Okay, let's, be, let's face it, we could be in church, but it doesn't mean we've translated into a church life. We could be into a building, it doesn't mean we translate into the mission of what the building stands for. Are you tracking with me? So far. So this is the challenge that they were facing, and I believe it's a challenge that we face today. So many people are getting saved. And, and the reality is more people, more problems. More, they say more money, more problems. But if there's no people, there's no problem. It's usually people. Okay, okay right, you, you get what I'm saying. So when you read this particular book, you see Paul begin to undress some of... Address and address <laughs> some of the stuff that's going on within this church, in this city that's very progressive in their understanding of life, right? So right off the bat, Paul begins to talk about some of this stuff. So for example, they were struggling to understand leadership and how it works within a specific church. And so they had the worldly mindset that, you know, we all have our favorites, and so they begin to argue over who is their favorite leader. And some of them were like, man, we like this guy named Apollos. He's well-spoken. He's well-versed. We think he's fantastic. So we're with Apollos. Some of them were like, nah, but we're with Peter because we're Jewish. We kind of re resemble more what Peter is. And so we like how Peter does it. So we're with Peter. Some of them were like, yeah, but I, Apollos is cool. Peter's cool. But I'm with Paul. So I, I, Paul is my dude. Like he's the one that I roll with. I like the way Paul does things. And so here they are in the same church, but taking likes and dislikes based on their personal preferences. And so Paul writes this letter to say, wait a minute, don't you understand? Like, whether it's Apollos, Peter, or me, we all belong to Jesus. Like, Jesus is the head of the church. And, and if, you, if you insist on your personal preferences, you're going to divide us instead of unite us. Right? Because we talked about that last week, that you know, every particular church has to have a set of a focus, a vision, and a drive. If you have more than one vision, that's called division, right? When you're going in different directions, Paul's like, man, this is not going to work if we are fighting about our personal preferences versus what God wants to do in us and through us. So how about we engage the body first by connecting to the head? The head is Christ, and we're the body. Can you say amen? They were also fighting some of the old religion versus the ways of Jesus because some of them were Jewish and they were like, wait, you guys who are Gentiles, anyone who's not Jewish or Gentiles, like, why don't you guys start doing some of these Jewish customs and rituals and, 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 and embrace some of that stuff? But Paul was like, wait, time out. Jesus came to abolish the law. Like, he came to fulfill it. He's, it's all done. You don't have to worry about trying to be Jewish. It's a way of life is in Jesus. It's a lifestyle. It's, it's becoming more and more like Jesus. And... Some of them were relieved because some of the dudes were like, I don't have to be circumcised. That's good news. 
How many male adults are like, word, like, that's, that's good theology. I, I don't, <laughs> some of y'all, we get it tomorrow morning. Okay. And then, and then there were, there were some, some sketchy lifestyles going on. For example, they were going to the same church, but they were taking each other to court and sue each other. And Paul was like, wait a minute, that's what the world does. Like, can't you guys be able to, to meet together and, and, and resolve your conflicts and not take it out there? Because when you do that, you're setting a bad example to the world because you're supposed to be different than the world. You're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. Like, you're not supposed to operate the way the world does. But... And then, and then there were some weird things. Like, I love the Bible because it's so honest. It just, like, puts it out there. Like, Paul was talking to them about their sexual practices. For example, there was a guy who was sleeping with his stepmom. And, and Paul was like, hey, no one's going to do anything about that? Like, y'all are good with that? To which I say, that's weird in the world, never mind in the church. Like, that's just weird, period. Forget theology. That's weird. Right? So there was a lot of different things happening within this church that Paul was trying to bridge the gap of, hey, that's an I mindset. You need to develop a we mindset if we're going to really be the people that God has for us. Are you tracking so far? We're going somewhere. We're going somewhere. So by the time you get to the end of this book, right, we, we read chapter 13. But when you get to like chapter 11 and 12, Paul now is addressing spiritual pride. Paul was like, man, this is a very gifted church. You guys have so much going on, so much talent you have amazing speakers. You have people who can prophesy. You have people who can speak in tongues. You have people who are seeing dreams and visions, all this stuff. But the problem is, why is it not coming together? By the time you get to this, to this chapter, you realize Paul was dealing with them living a life of comparison. They were comparing each other based on their talents and their gifts. Some were saying, hey, I'm more spiritual than you because I can prophesy. Some were like, no, but yeah, but I speak in tongues, right? Some of us, some of them were like, yeah, but I hear from God. <laughs> and Paul was like, what are we doing? Like, don't you understand that every gift, every talent that you have is supposed to edify the entire body and not just yourself? It's never about you. God never gives you a gift for yourself. That's like, that's like your body, and he gives you this, this argument in chapter 12. He's like, that's like your body begins to say, hey, hey, I'm the liver. I'm, I'm better than you, heart. And heart's like, yeah, but without me, what, what, what can you do? Right? And your eyes are like, yeah, but y'all are blind without me. <laughs> right? Paul was like, this is crazy. This is nonsense. It's one body. It's supposed to work together. It's supposed to flow together. Like, we're supposed to be going somewhere together, and if we're starting to pull each other from each other, then guess what? We're not going to be a cohesive body of believers who can reflect who Jesus is. Can you say amen? They were talented, but they were dysfunctional. They were gifted, but they were messy. So Paul is trying to bring order to this chaos. Paul is trying to bring peace and, and unity to the situation that is completely messy. And so by the time you get to chapter 13, Paul was trying to say, okay, I need to elevate your thinking. I need to elevate your understanding. I need to elevate your perspective of why we are better together. And, and there's a better way to live life than just me, myself, and I. There's a best for all 
way to do this that will honor God and bless your lives and bless the world around you. Can you say amen? So we get here, right? But you got you to gotta backtrack a little bit to get the fullness of Paul's message, right? If you go back to chapter 12, the last verse, after Paul breaks down how the body is supposed to work as one, how every gift, talent was given to edify the body and not just yourself, Paul ends with this. Paul says this, look, so you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. Paul was like, man... Can I elevate you guys' perspective a little bit here? Can I show you something better and greater that would actually help all of us? Can I show you a better way of life than just comparing and rating and, and, and trying to figure out who's better than the other? It's like, that's a, that's a waste. That's not God's will for you. Can you say amen? So Paul says, there's a better way. There's a better way. Are you in? You want something better and greater, right? Then he gets into one of the most famous passages in the entire Bible. You usually hear it in marriages, but this is the context. The context was a dysfunctional church body who needed to come together. And chapter 13 begins this way. Paul says, look, here's a better way. Paul says, look, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would be a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans, and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I will be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor, and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Paul was like, man, you guys are extremely gifted and talented. But the problem is you're not operating on the gift of love. You're operating on the gift of selfishness. And when you operate on the gift of selfishness, you could be doing good things, but all it is is you're just making noise. It's possible to do good things from a selfish perspective. And when it comes across, it comes across like this. Yes, you're speaking in tongues, but all it sounds is... Oh my gosh, you gave big today in offering? Oh, you're a prophet. All you're doing is making noise because motives matter to God. Intentions matter to God. And if we keep living our lives from just an eye mindset, all we're doing is making noise. There's a better way to live, Paul says. How about you activate the love of God in your life? What happens, my friends, when we shift from I to we. There's a shift that takes place in my motives, in my intentions, in my approach when I live a life that's beyond just me. A lot of noise. My friends, I'm afraid 
The Capital C Church is meeting everywhere, but there's a lot of noise and not a lot of effectiveness that actually makes a difference in a world that is dying. The world can't understand speaking in tongues if they don't understand that you love them. The world could care less about your prophecies if they don't understand that you care about them. The world could care less about how beautiful our stages are and our designs are because all they hear is... And this is not just church. This is life. Spouses who are not loving each other but applying this thing just from a place of selfishness. No wonder marriages are like... 50% of marriages are end in divorce because... Businesses are closing down. Why? Because the bottom line is always profit in our people. Churches are dying. Why? Because it's all about... And Paul is saying, there's got to be a better way, my friends. How about we shift from I to we and see what it looks like. See, you've heard this in weddings, but it wasn't about weddings. It applies to weddings. But Paul was talking to a group of believers in a church when he says, look, what this is supposed to look like. Verse 4, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It, is, it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Can you say amen? What would it look like if we shifted from I to we? This is what it looked like. And it's cute, right? On paper, it's beautiful during weddings. But how many know, after you say, I do, this is when this gets challenged. How many know honeymoons are great? How many know a new building is great? It's honeymoon season. But then, I have to come face to face with the reality that like, how do we coexist? How many of you know launching a business is awesome, but then you got to deal with people? Right? How many know everybody's praying to find that right somebody, but not everybody's praying to be the right somebody? <laughs> I don't know how you read the Bible, but let me show you how I read the Bible. Marco is not jealous or boastful. Oh, proud. Marco's not rude. Marco does not demand his own way. Marco is not irritable, and my wife cannot say amen to that. <laughs> Marco keeps no record of being wrong. Marco does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Marco never gives up. He never loses faith. Marco is always hopeful. And Marco endures through every circumstance. I've read the entire Bible, my friends, but every time I read this, 
I feel this small. Because Marco realized, oh my God. Marco is not a we. Marco is very much an I person. Now your turn. The beauty of this, my friends, what, God, what, God, what God's doing through Paul, God was saying, can I level the playing field? Can I forget about your prophecies and your speaking in tongues and your this and that? Can I put all those of us in? Can you do this? Clearly you can't. Why? Because God is love. It's only by the power and the love of God that you're able to go from I to we. And so this only comes when the Holy Spirit empowers you to live this life which kills every pride in us. Because it doesn't matter how talented you are, you don't love like this. No matter how gifted you are, you don't love like this. Only God loves like this. Only God empowers you to live this kind of life. And Jesus said, you only reflect me when you actually love one another like this. Not when you speak in tongues, not when you prophesy, not even when you give whatever you give in offering. You only re truly, fully reflect me. And matter of fact, when you have this in place, then your speaking in tongues will make more sense. Your prophetic words will make more sense. Your, your giving will make more sense. Because if not, all we're doing is... You see why Paul gets to the place after this and he says... My friends, when I was a child, that's the next thing he says. He says, hey, I've presented all this to you, but here's the thing. When I was a kid, I talk like a kid, I reason like a kid, and I behave like a kid. But then I had to put away kiddish stuff. Do you understand what Paul is getting to here, my friends? Paul was saying, hey, Time to grow up, friends. Time to grow up, Corinthians. Time to grow up, New Bedfordians. Foriverdians or whatever. Because think about it. A child only thinks about himself. How many parents do I have? And it's not their fault. They're developing. But you hope they don't stay as a child. You hope that as they're developing physically, they're developing emotionally, and they're developing spiritually. They're developing from I to we. Paul was like, y'all didn't develop. It's time to grow up a little bit and, and live a life that's beyond me, myself, and I. A child only speaks I. That's all he knows and all she knows. I have children. This is a true fact. <laughs> a child has three things in mind. Feed me. <laughs> change me. And entertain me. That's how my kids are. My little one, he's three. When he wakes up, he makes sure everybody knows. He's in his crib, and he'll begin his day like this. 
I'm not making this up. Ask my wife. Every day, every day, Monday, Tuesday, Saturday. So he doesn't discriminate. Every day, he, start, he, doesn't, he doesn't care if it's the weekend. He starts by saying, Mom! Mom! And if mom doesn't respond, he knows how to switch to, Dad! Dad! And if dad doesn't respond, he'll go to his siblings. Kaden! Grace! Chase! And he's smart enough to not call Carly because he knows Carly can't help me. <laughs> and once you get him up, his first order priority every day is, feed me. Daddy, I'm hungry. Feed me. And after you feed him, his next order priority is, what's the entertainment of the day? Daddy, I want to watch something. Daddy, where's your phone? I get home now. It's not me they want. It's my phone. Did you miss me? Yeah, Daddy, where's your phone? That's <laughs> all they know. It's all they think about. Feed me, change me, entertain me. My friends, we have to graduate from feed me, change me, and entertain me. <laughs> this church was beautiful and powerful and talented, but they were childish in their approach. It was all about me, myself, and I. No wonder our marriages are in a mess. People get married and all you're thinking about is feed me. Change me. Take care of me. And we wonder why 50% of them are not working. Businesses who all they see is profit. Me. And employees are killing themselves for nothing. Churches filled with people who are 35 but still thinking, can you feed me? Feed me. If you don't feed me, I'll find a church that will. Quiet. If you don't feed me, I'll change churches. If you don't feed me, I'll make a mess of things. I'll throw a fit on Facebook. But we got to graduate from being entertained. Can I embrace conviction to grow up a little bit? To say, Lord, if you're talking to me, I receive your word. And I pray that I'm not looking to be fed. I'm looking for you to feed me, that I may feed somebody. Because at some point, I got to feed somebody. Because that's the beauty of having kids. When you have more than one, they help each other. Right now, one of the greatest blessings is that my three older ones are starting to understand that I can help. Because they're starting to click that life is not just about me. That now I'm in a position that as a 12-year-old, I can actually help my 3-year-old. 
My friends, that's supposed to be how this walk supposed to be like. 12 years in the church, it's not more about feed me, it's how can I feed another one. How many more messages can I get until I say, can I help somebody? How many more times can I be entertained until I'm convicted? Because conviction is not a bad thing if it's going to change me for the better. My friends, we got to graduate. We got to grow up a little bit. It's not all about me. There's a time that I put away childish things and I embrace the newness of life as a mature man or woman of God. If I want my marriage to work, I got to put away childish things. I was talking to a young man yesterday that I've known since high school. I was his high school teacher, and he said, can you believe it? I'm going to be 30. And he said, here's a shift, Pastor. He said, now my friends, my younger friends who are getting married are looking at me like I'm the old guy. It's like I'm just turning 30. But these younger guys who are getting married are starting to understand you got to put away childish things. And I told them, you know why some of our young Men's, women's marriage are not working because they're still thinking, I got married to have sex. But I mean, you know, if you don't put away childish things, even that gets taken away. <laughs> Y'all don't want a real church. Y'all want me to play church. Even that goes out the window. Uh, you should hear some of these kids talk. It's one weird. I'm 41. I'm talking to like kids, you know, young adults. You know, get off my lawn. I'm becoming that guy. <laughs> but we got to put away childish things. We got to understand that it's a we, not an I perspective. Marriage is awesome. I think marriage is one of the most powerful relationships that reflects the heart of God when it's done the right way. When two becomes one. Truth be told, the reason why we're shying away from marriage is because of our childish ways. So it's better to play house than to play married. Because if I play house, I always have a way out. So you're with someone for five, six, seven years, you don't, still don't know that this is the person you're supposed to spend the rest of your life with, or you always want to have a way out where you can say, no, it's not working out, so we just can go our separate ways. My friends, we've got to put away childish things and embrace maturity. We have a society who is childish, and we can't let a society define what the church should be like. We have a society that says, give me, give me, give me. My name is Jimmy, give me. Put someone in office who can just give me. So here's my challenge for us because we can't just listen to these things. We have to wrestle with the stuff. Here's my challenge. Today, I just have some questions I want us to consider. Go to, go, put it my, my first one. Am I operating from a place of love? There comes a place in my life that I have to go deeper and say, what are the motives of my life? What motivates my marriage? What motivates my parenting? My friends, there are people who have children, but the children are not being parented. For some people, kids is a nuisance. Because you can have a kid and not be a parent. 
And kids know it. They know it. It's the saddest thing in the world. Some kids right now in our classrooms, this is the only time they're being loved. That's why we don't babysit. We love these kids and we, and we walk with them and we teach them the ways of Jesus because they're not getting it. I got to check my heart when it comes to my relationships. Like when it comes to church, it's got to get to a place that I'm like, okay, God, I came in here. I was selfish. I was just trying to look for something for me. But, Lord, now what are you, why, did you brought, why did you bring me here and why am I still here? What is, what is my purpose in this bigger picture called the body of Christ? I got to graduate from just me, myself, and I. It's got to be something bigger and deeper that actually creates legacies and meaning and power and transformation where children now can, can, can be raised in a different society and environment, a different home, who they understand that there's love here. But love, as you see, is never a feeling. Love is an action verb. Love does. Love heals. Love touches. Love restores. So I got to ask myself the second question, my friends. Is it I or we when it comes to marriage, parenting, business, and church. Because I is just childish. Because the moment something doesn't work in my marriage, I want to jump ship. Parenting is not babysitting. You ever hear parents say, baby? it's like, what, you're babysitting your own kids? What in the world? No, it's your privilege. God is trusting you. With these kids. Business. I believe business is one of the ways that we can reflect the heart of God. I was talking to a businessman this week. I said, I, I, I hope you understand. I appreciate your business because that's a ministry. You're, you have 200 and plus employees. You, you are a minister. And some of them will never come to church, but you are a reflection of the church to them. And the way you handle them and treat them and take care of them and, and, and show interest in them shows that you, my friend, operate from a we, not just an I. That churches, my friends, is supposed to be that we graduate from just what can I get out of it to God? What do you want to do through all of us? What's my role in this big picture of your church? And how will a, a world who only knows childish way be able to see something better in the church if I don't play a role in it? If I don't say it's, it's our church, then I have some ways to go. My friends, last thing today, number three, is what can I begin to do this week to change my approach? Because if nothing changes, nothing changes. If nothing changes, nothing changes. My friends, marriages are stuck because nothing is changing. And we're stuck on waiting for the other person to change. Everybody knows what the other person should be doing. We are an expert in others. Everybody knows what the church should be doing. But no one's asking, what am I supposed to be doing? Everybody can tell you what the problems are in our society. But no one is talking about the solutions to our society. I got I to gotta change something to see change. Nothing changes if nothing changes. Two people living in the same house keep passing each other because no one is willing 
No one's willing to put away their childish ways. No, I'm going to be mad. You're going to be mad. I'm going to be miserable. You're going to be miserable. I'm not going to sleep. You ain't going to sleep neither. And then we do this. And then next thing you know, we leave. And we say we grew apart. How did you grow together in the first place? And what did you stop doing that made you grow apart? We, all we have to do is dissect this stuff. I was going to that church. It was exciting, but then they told me to serve. I'm like, I like to be fed. So I found another one. And then that one told me to, can you believe these churches? They actually want me to be like Jesus. Are you kidding me? Jesus said, I came to serve and not to be served and to give my life as a ransom for many. My friends, love, Paul puts it so in good perspective. He never said, hey, love feels. Do you notice it's all action verbs? For God so loved the world. He didn't say, love you guys. (laughs) With you in spirit. Ever Christians talk like that? Can't go to the outreach, but I'm with you in spirit. No, you ain't. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. He gave. Love gives. Love sacrifices. I'm afraid, my friends, I got to be real here. There's a difference between following Jesus and being religious. Because Jesus said, if any man want to come after me, he must first deny himself, deny himself, the childish ways, take up his cross, there's got to be a sacrifice, and then follow me. How do you follow someone? You walk with them. (laughs) Jesus said, that's the true thing I came to do. I didn't come to do something for you to conjure up and take what you like and what you don't like and then make it your own thing and then call it Christianity. No, 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 my friends, that's me-anity. So I believe these are, these are, the, these are the messages that, that, really, that really makes the rubber meet the road. Like, I have to wrestle with this stuff. This is not a cute speech, pastor. This is like, I got to... Do some gut check here and say, yeah, I'm 45, but man, am I childish in my ways of approaching life? Have I made this thing all about me? Because nothing convicts me more than 1 Corinthians 13. I'm telling you, nothing. Every time I read that, I feel this small and I say, you better fill me with that love because I don't have it. If I'm going to be effective and useful in my marriage, in my parenting, in running a church... Why are we going to Fall River? Because it's not just about me. And I believe some of you should go and actually do, when was the last time you did something that required faith? A little scary, a little not knowing what could happen. When was the last time it was like a roller coaster? Or or do you have it all figured out Monday through Sunday, Monday through Sunday? I know exactly what I'm going to do. My friends, that's me in control, not God dictating what I do. And I think it's boring without a challenge and an adventure once in a while. I think it's boring to just come and sit if I don't do anything with it. 
best for all is how God wants us to live. Can you imagine the revolution in our homes if husband and wives would begin to say, how can I serve you? Can you imagine the revolution in parenting? God gave me you to raise you well. And then you're going to do the same thing. Imagine the revolutions in our churches. If I stop going because it's about me, but I start saying, God, why do you have me here? It's about we. He imagine, I think the world would pay attention. Because think about it. This is the greatest nation in the world. We have the most unhappiest people in the world. Naturally speaking, it makes no sense. How can this be the greatest nation in the world with the most resources and we are so unhappy, we're miserable, we're suicidal, we're depressed. You know why? Because it's about me, myself, and I. Me, myself, and I. No one is happy alone. We got Facebook, but we're lonely. We have Instagram, but we're lonely. We have Twitter, we're lonely. Why? Because it's all about how many followers can I get, not how many people can I actually be in touch with and do life with and do communion with. And you hold me accountable and I hold you accountable. I just saw a powerful documentary, Big Business in Ohio. Team from China came and developed this place to make glass for cars, employed 2,000 people. And the CEO, the chairman said, man, I thought this would make me happy. Billionaire reflected and going, I miss the simple days. Why, my friends? Because it's not all about profit. What is a man if he can gain the world but lose his soul? Jesus says. It's about, man, how can I help this world be a better place? Come on, who's with me this morning? Let's stand together. Let's pray. My friends, I, I'm very convicted by this. Praying we develop a church of people who are willing to put away childish things so that our marriages can be better, our kids can be better, our church can be better, our community can be better. But that's a willing desire each one of us have to make to deny oneself, to take up our cross, and to follow Jesus, and not just religion. If I'm not doing those things, it's bootlegger. It's not the real thing. There's real Jordans and then there's Payless Jordans. I'm afraid a lot of people are living Payless Christianity. Who wants to live a real Christianity? We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, please share it with another person. And for more information, visit our website, newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.